Amen. Isn't the Lord good today? Praise God. He is so powerful, so faithful. And how many knows God is doing a work all over this nation, all over the nations of the world? And so we give him glory today. We give him honor. Anybody glad to be in the house of God? I know this is not our normal place of worship, but let me tell you, as long as the Holy Spirit is in our midst, we can make anywhere a place of worship. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so we're so excited that in just a few weeks, we will be back home. I know that's a long time coming, and we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your prayers, and continue to pray for all of our teams and crews that are helping us during this time of transition. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at quite a few scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And reading down to verse 50, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through verse 50. Now, you don't need me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. We here as the Set Free family, we are proclaiming that this is the year. 2023 is the year of what? of reset. Now, we had no idea what all that was going to entail. We're figuring it out as we go week by week. Amen. But one thing I do know is that in this year of the reset, as, as God the Holy Spirit is helping us to declutter, helping us to get back to the uh, foundation, to the basic principles of the Word of God, of the Kingdom of God, one thing that I know to be certain is that we as this body of believers we are getting back to glory. Amen. Anybody want to experience the glory of God? Anybody want to see the glory of God? Anybody want to witness the glory of God? I promise you that is what's going to turn the tide of our nation. It's not a politician. It's not the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, but it is the glory of God itself. That is what's going to impact our nation, and that, my friend, is what we are contending for it is his glory and so as we are continuing along with this theme I want to deliver to you a message this morning entitled reset to worship reset to worship let's look Luke chapter 7 verse 36 and the word of the Lord says this then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him can you imagine that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, invited him over to his house. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Now, that kind of sounds like a, a trap, right? If you know the story of the Pharisees, it kind of sounds like a trap. It kind of sounds like a setup. So he invited Jesus over to his house to eat. And the Bible says, and they sat down to eat. And look at this. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. You remember this story? And stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, 
this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, already perceiving what was in his spirit, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Listen to this. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And so Simon the Pharisee answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hallelujah. Talking about reset to worship. As you all have probably heard by now, there are pockets of revival that are popping up at various locations around our nation. It all began with a place called Asbury University in a small town called Wilmore in the state of Kentucky. I'm sure there's not one person in here who has not already heard that news. This move of God has been going nonstop for well over 11 days now, 24-7. The main trademarks of this revival are worship, prayer, confession, and repentance. As the days move on, some in the religious community are beginning to question critique, and even criticize this outpouring of the Spirit for various reasons. Some are saying that it's not biblically based and that it is out of order. Others are saying it's nothing more than fanaticism and emotionalism. But could it not be that these critics and naysayers are acting out against this revival because they simply just do not understand it. Maybe because it is beyond their control and manipulation. Could it not be it is because it is outside of the box of their traditions and denominational preferences? I for one believe that many of them are simply jealous because it's not happening for them. And that's because of their own complacency and lukewarmness. 
my own personal opinion, as if it really matters, concerning this move of God and others like it, is that this is the Holy Spirit outpouring that we have been praying for. You say, well, is it really, Pastor? You know, you can only judge as authentic as a move of God that it really is maybe weeks, months, or years later to see the fruit that it's bearing. Well, you know, I understand that, but let me judge your life and see what kind of fruit you're bearing. Huh? I believe that this is the move of God that we have been praying for that we have been seeking for, that we have been asking God for, that we have been fasting for. I choose to believe that revival is not something that is coming. I know we just got through Pastor Mark singing a move of God is on the way, but I come to submit to somebody in this house today that the move of God is here right now. It's not on the way. It's here right now. And it's available to anyone and for any place that is hungry for it. So we must stop trying to analyze it and we must simply jump into the river of what God the Holy Spirit is doing. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to jump all the way in. Do I have anybody, you ready to swim in the rivers of revival that God is pouring out all over the land today? You see, the truth is that the Holy Spirit does not need our approval on how He chooses to move and on who He chooses to use. This is not a democracy. He's not looking for the majority vote on where He chooses to visit, how He moves, and on who He moves upon. And finally, I don't know about you, but as for me, I'm for anything that will have college students in a chapel praying at 2 a.m. in the morning instead of a club partying at 2 a.m. Nobody's saying nothing in this house today. Call it what you want to. Call it emotionalism. Call it fanaticism. Call it uh, out of order. Call it unbiblical. But I'm telling you what, there's something that is happening in this nation today. And I'm crazy enough to believe that what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky, what's happening in Cleveland, Tennessee, what's happening in other diverse locations across this nation is about to happen right here in the state of South Carolina. Does anybody believe that today? Hey! But I'll say all of this to say that this reminds me of the account that was portrayed in our text scripture this morning from the gospel of Luke chapter 7. Again, just to reminisce just a moment, we see a woman washing Jesus' feet with her tears and anointing them with her perfume. The scriptures simply identify her as a woman who was a sinner. Did not even give her a name. She was just a woman who was a sinner. Some speculate that she was a woman of the night. 
In other words, that she was nothing more than a prostitute. We don't know that, but some speculate that. We also see in this story portrayed the Pharisee who was disgruntled at what he saw as a waste of valuable perfume. For in his eyes, Jesus wasn't worth such extravagant worship. He might have never vocalized that, but within his own heart, that is the conclusion that he had come up with. Why in the world is this sinner woman wasting such a costly item on this so-called prophet's? He wasn't worth such extravagant worship. Then last but surely not least, we see Jesus himself who was full of great love and great compassion. This passage reminds us that in every worship setting, hear me, this passage reminds us that in every worship setting, there will be three groups. Somebody say three groups. Number one, the one that is being worshipped. Number two, the participators are the worshipers. Number three, the spectators. Did you hear what I said? Displayed in Luke chapter 7, in this account, there were three notable figures. There was the one who was being worshipped, which is Christ himself, There was the participator, which was the woman of great sin. And then there was the spectator, which was the religious Pharisee. In every worship gathering, in every church gathering, there, Pastor Mark, is always three different people. There is the one who is being worshipped. There is the participator, the worshipers, and then there is the spectators. How can you tell if you play the part of the spectator and not the worshiper? Let me submit this to you. Because you will be critical of how other people are worshiping without realizing you ain't even worshiping at all. Nobody's saying nothing. I said, how do you know that you are playing the part of the spectator and not the participator? A sure sign that you are playing the role of the spectator is that you sitting back judging everybody else and how they are doing what they do. Not even realizing that you're not even worshiping at all. Let this be our prayer. Lord, help me today to be a worshiper and not a spectator. I'm telling you, every time we gather from this day forward, let that Brother Donnie, be our prayer. Before we walk through the doors of the sanctuary, let it be our prayer. God, let me today be a worshiper and not a spectator. God, let me today center my mind and my heart on you, the King of glory, and get it off of everybody else or what they're doing or what they're not doing. God, today, let me be 
one that worships you in spirit and in truth. If you will develop that prayer, if you will develop that mentality, if you will develop that heart posture, I promise you, revival will break out in your heart and in your life. You won't have to drive to Kentucky to get it, but it'll begin right here in your spirit. Hey! Stop trying to wait until set free praise stirs something up. But you come in here already stirred up because you're thinking about the goodness of God in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I promise you it would take a lot of load off of Pastor Mark, wouldn't it? It'd take a lot, a, a, lot, a lot of the load off of preachers like me and Pastor Steve and Pastor Landon if we knew we wouldn't have to get up here and stir up a bunch of deadheads. But you come in here with a praise already in your mouth and a worship in your spirit and you ready to get this thing going. I'm talking about reset to worship. So what really happens when we reset our worship? I'm going to give you seven things. What really happens when we reset our worship? Number one, you realize that worship is our DNA. Did you hear what I said? I said, what really happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to reset our worship? Number one, you realize that worship is your DNA. In other words, it is who we are. It should come natural to us. Why? Because we were created to worship. How do I know that? Because Isaiah chapter 43 verse 21 says this. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. You were put on this earth to be a worshiper. Everybody always asking, God, God, what is your will for my life? What's your plan for my life? What's your agenda for my life? I come by by the authority of the Word of God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to say God's plan for your life is that you'll be a spirit-filled worshiper. You'll be a radical praiser. You'll be somebody that has a praise on their lips. You'll be like the psalmist David that says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth I said it's your DNA it ought to come natural to you we shouldn't have to pump and prime you I shouldn't have to holler and scream till I can't even talk when I leave this place to get somebody to praise God in this house it should come natural you say well pastor Caleb, I, I, it's just not me. I'm just not emotional. I'm just not a, I'm just not a worshiper. That's just not in me. <laughs> I done told you last Sunday, and I'm going to remind you again. 
Now, you, you young folk, you don't know nothing about this, but you let somebody come up and ring your doorbell, and they hold on one of those big cardboard checks that says you're the sweepstake winner. You don't won one million dollars, and you mean to tell me you're not a, an emotional person? You mean to tell me you're not a shouter? I want you to know what you are worshiping is what is dear to your heart, because what worship is all about, you are ascribing worth to what you love, and if you can Shout about a million dollar check. Why can't you shout about the one who bled and died for you and arose again on the third day? I'm telling you, he's worthy of your worship. I said it's your DNA. It's who you are. It should come natural to you. What happens when we reset our worship? Number two, we realize that worship isn't even about us. Oh my God. I said when we experience a reset in our worship, we understand like never before that worship isn't even about me. Let me tell you, I've been in this thing a long time. All I know is the church. I don't know nothing about a ballroom. I don't know nothing about a drug house. I don't know nothing about any of that. All I know is the church. And can I tell you what? I am sick and tired of church people coming into God's house and they complain about everything. It's not my style. It's just not my song. It's not my tempo. It's not at my volume comforts. When you experience a reset in your worship, you realize worship isn't even about you. It's about Him. And it's about what's pleasing to Him. Sit back there with your hands crossed all you want, but I come by with a revelation. If you receive it, it'll set your life free. It'll set you on fire. You'll stop murmuring and you'll stop complaining and you'll come in this place and with a worship in your spirit and the move of God will happen right here. I said it's not about us. It's not about our personal preferences. It's all about him. It's all about what's pleasing to him. It's all about what glorifies him. You remember that old worship song? Come out, I think, a couple of decades ago called The Heart of Worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord. For the things that I've made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm telling you, when you get a reset in your worship, it'll cause you to realize worship was never about you. It's not about what tickles your fancy. It's not, what a, it's not about what makes you happy. It's all about what glorifies him. It's all about what magnifies him. Worship is all about Jesus Christ. What happens when we reset our worship? Number three, we will realize that worship costs us something. Did you hear what I said? I said we will realize that worship costs us something. 
See, we treat the presence of God and the glory of God so flippantly, so carelessly. We just come before him in just any old manner, in any old way, carrying all of the garbage of the world that has been piled up on us all week long, and we just come before him like, you know, who gives a flip anyways? Just be glad that I showed up because you're doing your religious duty. If this is your religious duty, I question if you're even born again. I don't look at this as a religious duty. Well, I got to get up this Sunday morning and I got to go to church. I'm like the psalmist David when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is not a chore. This is not a duty. This is the highlight of my week because I get to join together with the body of Christ in corporate worship and glorify our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Hey! I said worship will cost us something. Notice that this woman brought to Jesus one of her most valuable possessions. Now, I don't know how accurate this is, but I was studying up how valuable was this flask of oil. How valuable was this alabaster box of perfume? And one commentary said it was worth a year's wages in that day. And at that time, I'm telling you, this was a priceless possession. This was a valuable possession that she brought to this Pharisee's house and that she anointed the very feet of Jesus with. It was an act of worship unto her. Can I tell you, worship cost her something. She gave it all up. She poured every last ounce on the master's feet as an act of radical worship before him. And who do we think we are in this modern-day church that worship is not going to cost us something? You say, well, Pastor Jesus paid it all on the cross. Yes, he did for your redemption. But let me tell you, if you really want to be a worshiper, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you comforts. See, everybody in this, in this last couple of weeks of, of the move of God that's breaking out in, in Kentucky and other places, everybody's saying, I want that. I want that. I want that for my church. I want that for my family. I want that for my life. Do you? Do you? Because I promise you those students at Asbury uh, University is costing them something. Because let me tell you, real revival... Authentic move of God will inconvenience you. And how many knows we as Americans, we don't like to be inconvenienced. We want everything laid before us on a silver platter. Everything to be given freely to us. We don't want nothing to mess up our calendar, nothing to mess up our schedules. But I promise you, if we want a move of God, you better go ahead and get your calendar cleared out because it's going to inconvenience you. You see, worship costs us something. It costs us comfort. It costs us our time. It costs us our money. It costs us even our reputation. And sometimes it will cost you even your closest friends because they don't understand you. They think you done flipped your lid. You done lost your mind. You done drunk the Kool-Aid. Let them say what they want to say. But as I preached last Sunday, give me the new wine all day long. Do I have any wine on 
souls in this house today? Do I have anybody? You've been drinking from the new wine this past week. Hey, Shatorobo Satalabahaya. I said it'll cost you something. What happens when we reset our worship? Number four, you will realize that worship requires a response. Did you hear what I said? I said you will realize that worship requires. It's not optional. It's mandatory. It requires a response. This sinner woman had to respond. She had to get up from her place of comfort, her place of familiarity, wherever it was, and she had to make her journey to where Jesus was. She had to offer to him something that was valuable, something that was costly. It caused her to respond. No matter the ridicule, no matter the rejection, no matter who was looking down upon her, judging her, condemning her, criticizing her, it required a response from her. See, we have the mentality in the church world and culture of today you're not going to acquire anything of me. Who do you think you are, Pastor Caleb, that you're going to tell me what to do, what time to show up, when to clock in, when to clock out? Huh? Because we live in the land of the free. I got freedoms and I got rights and I have liberties. Let me tell you, that may work in this nation, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we no longer belong to ourselves. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We belong to the king of glory, and we answer to him. And he requires a response from you and I. So stop all of this nonsense that we come into a place of worship with our arms crossed and an attitude and a mentality. Well, bless me if you can, Pastor. Bless me if you can, praise team. It's going to take an actual move of God to get you up off of your seat, to get you to lift up your hands, to get you to open up your mouth. Let me tell you, shame on you. Because if God has done for you what he's done for me, I can't contain my praise. I can't stifle my worship. I can't keep my mouth shut. Why? Because when I think of the goodness of Jesus, it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to dance. It makes me want to praise. It makes me want to lift up my hands. I don't care who's beside me. I don't care what time it is. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, I said it'll require a response from you. But here's the good news. It's not one way, baby. It's a two-way response. Because when you respond to his presence, when you respond to his glory, I'm telling you what, God always will respond back to you. I said when you open up your mouth, he'll open up his mouth. When you lift up your hands, he'll reach down his hands. Oh, I said worship requires a response, not only from you, but it requires a response from the king of the universe. 
Pastor Kelly said at the opening of this service, he said, God, she read the scripture and saw, God will inhabit the praises of his people. What does that mean? When we began to worship and we began to praise, God gets up off the throne of heaven and he comes down and makes his residence wherever you are, wherever we are. Can I tell you, for since January the 1st, Pattersville High School has been the dwelling place of the presence and the glory of God. Hallelujah. I said it's a two-way response. James 4, it says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What happens when our worship is reset? Number five, worship will get the attention of God, and it will also get the attention of your enemies. Did you hear what I said? I said you will realize that your worship, yes, I just said it, it gets the attention of God. It causes God to move in your life. But let me tell you, just as much as it gets the attention of God, it'll get the attention of the naysayers, the critics, and the skeptics. It'll get the attention of that old, ancient, old, pharisaical spirit that's been running a lot of our churches for decades now. It'll get the attention of people just like at, uh, all around this nation that is judging the move of God at Asbury University. Well, it's not biblically based. I don't see nobody with a 16 11 King James Version Bible get over yourself you old Pharisee nobody's preaching a five point message so what when God shows up in a place he don't need you to preach anything he will do what he does best that's the problem with the church anyways we've made it all about a one man show well bless God I gotta preach my sermon sit down and let God do what he does best I'm all for the word but I learned a long time ago God can do more in five seconds than I can do up here preaching for 50 minutes good God almighty if looks could kill my Lord, my Lord. Notice that this woman's worship caught the attention of both Christ and the Pharisee. They began to judge her. The Pharisee, well, if, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would discern who this sinner woman really was. And he'd throw her out of my house. <laughs> See, some of you for too long, you've allowed the enemy to muzzle your praise and muzzle your worship because you're held hostage by your past. And you're so afraid that somebody's going to critique you or judge you. Somebody's going to walk up in here that knows who you used to be. And they're going to hold it over your head. I come by to set the captives free today by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You're not bound by your past. You're not bound by what you used to be. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Never let anyone silence your praise never let anyone muzzle your worship refuse to be silenced because I done read the book 
If I don't praise him, the rocks are going to cry out. And I don't know about you, but there's no rock going to cry out on my behalf because no rock has been washed by the blood. I've been washed by the blood. No rock has been healed of cancer. I've been healed. No rock has been delivered from demons. I've been delivered. I'm telling you what, you've got a right. You've got a reason to worship and praise. You think I'm going to let some religious nut silence me they don't come too late to tell me god's not worthy of my shout god's not worthy of my praise i don't care how foolish i look i know half of you think i'm absolutely crazy and need to be institutionalized and marshall pickens you say what you want to baby but i'm telling you god's done too much for me for me to sit down in my religious self and have an attitude well bless me if you can i'm not waiting on somebody to stir up my spirit i came in this place where my spirit already stirred up Somebody told me not too long ago, you too loud. Why you have to do all that? It don't take all that. Well, you sit there and miss the move of God if you want, but you ain't gonna control how I worship and how I praise. You say, aren't you worried about a little bit of wildfire? No, I'm not, because I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. Oh, I prophesy the fire of God upon this place in the name of Jesus. What'll happen? What'll happen when your worship gets reset? Number six, I'm about to close. If y'all go ahead and get ready. You'll realize that worship is not a waste. See, that's what some of those Pharisees have been saying about this Asbury revival. They could be they could be doing so much in their community. They could be feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. They could be, you know, doing all of this social justice and all of this stuff. I'm not criticizing any of that. That all has a place. That all has a place. But can I tell you, that's the same spirit that spoke against this woman with the alabaster box. In another account, in one of the other gospels, they spoke up and they said, why would Jesus, would you allow her to waste such a costly item when this could be used to feed the poor and to clothe the naked? And what did Jesus say to that pharisaical spirit? He said, the poor you'll have with you at all times, but you ain't going to have me forever, so let her worship! Stop criticizing Gen Z for what they're doing in Wilmore, Kentucky for over a hundred hours of non-stop 24-7 worship. Let them worship. Let them glorify God. I said, worship is not a waste. How many remembers the account of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Jesus came to their house, just like he's about to walk up in this place. You didn't hear what I said. He came to their house, and the Bible says that Martha was cumbered about with much serving. I can see her now running through the kitchen, pots and pans are slinging. She's trying to cook up a meal for Jesus. And her sister Mary, where was she? She was sitting at his feet. She was hearing his voice. She was worshiping. And that old religious Martha got upset. 
she got disgruntled and she began to rebuke Jesus and Mary Jesus will you tell my lazy good-for-nothing sister that she needs to get up and help me in the kitchen and what did Jesus say to Martha he said Martha Martha you're cumbered about with much serving but your sister Mary has chosen the best part she's at my feet she's in my presence she's worshiping me she's hearing my voice can I tell you worship is not a waste worship is the best thing you can do every time we open up our mouth every time we lift our hands we're not wasting time we're not just taking up a spot on the schedule but we're entertaining the host of heaven we're entertaining the glory of God we're entertaining in the presence of Yeshua Christ Jesus your worship is not a waste then last but surely not least what happens when our worship is reset you realize that your worship is a weapon did you hear what I said I said you realize that your worship is a weapon do you realize that that praise has been locked up on the inside of you? That worship that's been restrained within your spirit, if you will open up your mouth and you'll lose your worship and you'll lose your praise, it'll be a weapon against all of the forces of hell. How do I know that? Because Genesis chapter 49 verse 8, listen, it says Judah. How many knows the Hebraic meaning of the word Judah is praise. Judah, in other words, praise. You are who he, whom your brother shall praise. Look at this. Judah, praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you what is God saying your worship and your praise is like a hand that's coming out of your mouth and it's choking the life out of your enemy stop getting on social media talking about who did you wrong and open up your mouth and release a worship and a praise and it annihilate every enemy you got for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and rulers of darkness I said, your worship is a weapon. How many, how many remembers the account of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16? They thrown into the deepest, darkest portion of the prison for doing nothing but sharing the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel of Christ. They have been severely beaten, locked up in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. It looked like their story was over. It looked like the enemy had the upper hand. It looked like the devil was going to win. It looked like their mouth had been shut up once and for all. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 verse 25, but at midnight, somebody look at your neighbor say, it might be midnight, but joy is coming in the morning. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying they were singing hymns to God. They were worshiping. They were praising. And because of their obedience, because of the sacrificial work of worship, not only were they liberated, not only were they set free, but their worship set all of the prisoners free. Because the Bible says suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, 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 all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose can I tell you what today your worship will shake the foundations of hell 
God in this hour is raising up an army of worshipers that will not be stifled any longer, that will not be silenced any longer. The devil himself will not be able to shut their mouths. They have a sword in their mouth. They have a fire in their mouth. And just as it did in days of old for Paul and Silas, God is no respecter of persons. He'll do it in and through you. I wish somebody would stand to your feet all over this house and open up your mouth and allow the foundations of hell to be shaken allow everybody sitting on your road to be delivered to be set free see your worship's not just for you it not just blesses you but it'll touch your household it'll touch your marriage it'll touch your family it'll touch your children and your grandchildren I prophesy today that if you open up your mouth and begin to worship everybody sitting on your road is about to be set free and delivered in the name of Jesus God, reset our worship. Reset our worship, God.